What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. This is a t- statistics episode for Food Fight. Um, if you missed my review of Food Fight, you can find it at the previous episode review. That's review number four, uh, where I talk at length about how awful this movie is and touch on a couple of more recent films that fared far better than this does. But those are not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Food Fight and the statistics therein of this film. And like I said on last yesterday's episode, this gets a 2 out of 100, which I think some people might agree with me that it's a little much. (laughs) It has no score on Rotten Tomatoes because no one wanted to... Well, two people actually reviewed it. They both gave it a Rotten score. That's good enough for a 0 for me. It has no consensus, but two bad reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, brief synopsis. I don't even know what that's going to sound like. Um, a new brand of products infiltrates a grocery store. Is it a gro- I think it's a grocery store, ultimately. Yep, it's a grocery store. Fantastic. Easy enough. The director of this film, Lawrence Kasanoff, who I don't believe I've seen anything else from, may not have made anything else because this... It's definitely not something that would ever get him hired again. Nothing on Letterboxd. We'll check. Uh, he's produced other things. Imagine that. Um, oh, gosh. I don't know if any of you have heard of the Tetris movies that are going to be coming out. Apparently, the, he's producing at least one of them. That's horrifying, because as much as I possibly could have, any chance, I don't, any chance those movies had of being decent is gone. Um, As a director, though, he directed the live tour documentary, video documentary of Mortal Kombat back in 96. I don't know what that is, a Mortal Kombat stage show that featured martial arts, sounds from the game, and laser light effects. Hmm, interesting. Then he directed Food Fight 16 years later. And then last year he directed a documentary called Mindfulness, Be Happy Now. Hmm, okay. So, really doesn't have a career outside of this movie. This will be his legacy, Lawrence. Kazanov. 
gets a two, which means his overall score as a director is a zero. That sounds perfectly appropriate. As a writer, he is not the only writer. Um, Lawrence Kasanoff. He was joined on this venture by Joshua Wexler, who I haven't seen anything written by him out before. As well as Brent V. Friedman, who again, I haven't seen anything from. Rebecca Swanson. And finally, Sean Catherine Derrick. Interesting. So all of these people have an average film rating of two as writers and are ultimately have given a score of zero. Totally justified. Bringing, bringing the average down for sure. A full like two tenths of a point. And these are the 2747th, 8th, 9th, and 50th writers and 51st writers added to the spreadsheet. Whereas Kazanoff was the 1616th director. Alright. And now for the fun part, which is the actors. I'm not sure how many of these because like there are a lot of names on here that are recognizable Wayne Brady, Eva Longoria, Hillary and Haley Duff, but I'm not sure how many of them are actually on the spreadsheet because a lot of them are primarily TV actors and things like that. So let's let's see. So Charlie Sheen. Uh so Martin Sheen, Charlie Sheen, currently ranked 1072nd. Uh, has actually been in some good movies. Uh, for playing himself and being John Malkovich, Badlands as his father's kid, or as a kid in a movie that stars his father. Uh, I think, and then he's in Platoon, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Hot Shots, and the rest are averaged bad. This is far and away his worst film, uh, which. And it's only the second awful film he's been in. The other being The Big Bounce, which I don't... Oh, is that... I feel like The Big Bounce had Owen Wilson in it. I think it's an Owen Wilson movie with Morgan Freeman, I think. Uh, so this drops Charlie Sheen down 500 spots to 1,539th. Sounds about right. Um, let's see, what about Hillary Duff already starting already at 3,155th um, so that's really really bad already, she's like one page down away from being at the bottom of the list 
This is her worst movie. And she's going to fall much, much further to 3,202nd. Ooh, ouch. Um, out of 3,244 total people. So, I mean, she's above David Spade <laughs> and Heather Locklear and Jennifer Love Hewitt and Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Gary Anthony Williams and Taylor Lautner. So, you know, he's not at the bottom. But, or she, oh my gosh, why am I saying he? What am I thinking of? I don't, I don't know what I'm thinking of. She, I'm sorry, uh, Eva Longoria. Wow, has only been in two movies, as far as I'm aware. That can't be right. Because they're both really highly rated, but I think that's it. Arthur Christmas, which I gave an 87, and In a World which I gave an 89. I love In a World. I think Lake Bell is fantastic in that movie. I don't remember Eva Longori in it. I think she was probably a caricature, but she's ranked 335th from those two movies. And this is going to be the steepest fall I may have ever seen because Food Fight Drops her all the way down to 1,995th. That's in, it's over 1,650 places. That's crazy. Uh, that feels more appropriate for Eva Longoria. Uh, what about Wayne Brady? He's got to be on here somewhere, right? Dwayne Johnson... He's not on here. Have I not seen anything else with him in it? I haven't. He hasn't really been in any movies. At least not according to Letterboxd. I guess that's fair. He's more of a improv mm, comedian type of person. Um, wow. Okay, I stand corrected. This, I, it's unfortunate, but I'm gonna have to add him to the list uh, because he is such a well-known name, I think. Most people know who Wayne Brady is. And that will put him squarely, I believe in second to last. <laughs> So he debuts at 3,244th, one spot above last place, who is Dan Patrick. And Wayne Brady enters with a zero point score, as opposed to Dan Patrick's negative 0.79. Wow. Wayne Brady becomes the 1,973rd male added to my acting spreadsheet. Quite a few, quite a number. Then we've got Christopher Lloyd, who is sitting right around the 2,000 point. This is his 17th and worst film that he's been in, and we'll ultimately drop him to 
2,296. I... That's a shame, because I do like Christopher Lloyd. You know, from the Back to the Future series, and... Uh, Buckaroo Banzai, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, he's an Anastasia, Angels in the Outfield, Angels in the Outfield was one of the movies I grew up with that I loved as a kid. It's... And, like, he's a big part of that. And then, of course, the best movie that he's been in is, as far as I'm concerned, is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So, it's unfortunate that he keeps continuing to slide rather than climb, but I... Not much else I can do. Chris Kattan, who's in the 2800 range. This is his sixth and worst movie. which drops him into the 3100 range. Then you've got Larry Miller, who I, I know as the principal, I believe, from uh, Max Keeble's Pig Move, if anyone's seen that. It's one of, it was another one of my favorite movies as a kid. There he is, Larry Miller. Uh, this is his 10th movie. He's also in 10 Things I Hate About You. B-movie. Pretty Woman. Valentine's Day. The Princess Diaries. I think he's... He's only in the second one, apparently. Uh, and then, you know, The Night Professor. Get Smart. Um, but this is his first awful movie that he's in. And this is his worst movie by a significant degree and drops his score by about seven points to put him in the 2,900 range. Edward Asner, who is literally, who was literally one spot behind Chris Kattan from the begin, uh, before this movie, but will ultimately end up ahead of him because this movie will have a slightly smaller impact. Because I've this was the sixth Chris Kattan movie, but the eleventh Edward Asner movie that I've seen. Asner also has Up, Elf, and Casting By as good movies that he's been in, whereas Kattan really doesn't have anything like that. Jerry Stiller also toward the bottom end. Actually, this tie is his worst film. So, not the bottom for everybody. <laughs> this ties with Planes, Fire, and Rescue. Um, and Fire and Rescue wins the tie break, of course. So this will actually go down as his worst movie. Planes, Fire, and Rescue has a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes as of the last time I looked which was probably when I watched the movie about a year ago. So I don't feel bad about that. <gasps> so the director, Lawrence Kazanoff, is the voice of the weasel, who, if you listen to my review episode, is one of the, is what I pointed to, to note just how awful the animation is. That, that makes total sense. 
Christine Baranski. Who's actually in the 500 range. Just shy of the top 500. Does not have a bad movie to her credit yet. This is her 10th film. And it ruins everything. <sighs> it's a shame. Because she's in one of my favorite comedies of all time. Bowfinger. I love Bowfinger so, so, so much. But Food Fight takes no prisoners and she drops to 991st Haley Duff I don't think she's on here she isn't I don't think she's oh she was in uh, Napoleon Dynamite as something um, oh she's older than Hillary why I don't know why I've kept thinking that She's the younger sister. But she's not. She is the older sister. Interesting. Um, I mean, I guess I do have to add her to the list. Uh, what did I give Napoleon Dynamite? A 62. So she ends up with an average of 32. So much better start than Wayne Brady, that's for sure. Food fight, food fight. I can't even remember her being in Napoleon Dynamite. She's not the main girl, I, I don't know. She's also heads and... Heads and shoulders uh, above her sister. She's about double the score. And she marks the 1273rd female added to the list. So, for those of you keeping score at home, that, that adds up to a 700 point difference between the number of male actors and female actors that I've made my list. And that is not a result of me only adding males to the list because it is pretty much Hollywood wants to hire more men because men are better for some reason. I don't know. It's just harder to be a female in the acting business. Um, then we've got, let's see, Shelley Morrison. I recognize that name. I don't know. She's not on the list. Mm, I don't think so. Edie McClurg. The Adams. Edie McClurg. Just shy. Just on. Just under the. T just. Just inside the top 400. This is her 20th film, and her worst film, which drops her outside of the top 600. Poor Edie. Probably best known for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. She's the secretary to the principal um, but she also does a lot of voice work a bug's life wreck it ralph kiki's delivery service the little mermaid uh, that's where a lot of her score is coming from um uh oh that might be it who else do we have uh bob bergen i'm pretty sure he's on the list he only he's only credited with additional voices and this is 100 percent not his worst movie 
there's a movie worse than this and it's happily never after i agree <laughs> yep happily never after is just worse yep i watched that two maybe three months ago yeah old bob bergen um oh did i get close leechman i feel like i skipped her leechman i did not this is her 20th film and ties the women as her worst film but is technically the worst due to tiebreakers no, just one food fight, not food fights. And she will drop another 200 spots on the list. And the last one, last name I thought I saw, Harvey Feierstein. Feierstein? Yep, he's on the list. This is the sixth film from Harvey, with Harvey. And the worst one. Noticing a pattern here. Um, so, all things considered, we added Wayne Brady and Haley Duff to the spreadsheet. We dropped everybody involved a considerable number of places. And the high, previously high, highest rated actor that appeared in this movie was Eva Longoria. And then after her was Edie McClurg. And Eva Longoria's high score was kind of an anomaly. Uh, but it's a shame. So that's, so that's all the actors. So let's move into genre now. Food Fight with your 2012 release year and your two overall score. You count as animation, comedy, action, aye, aye, aye. fantasy, I guess. So action, animated, comedy just feels so wrong. Fantasy. And then as far as the Bechtel test goes, there are multiple speaking parts of named female characters. And to the best of my recollection, they don't talk directly to each other as far as I can remember. Let me see if it's somewhere online. Um... Uh, doesn't seem to be. My gut is telling me that it's one named female characters that never talk to each other. That's what I'm going to go with. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But obviously if anyone wants to correct me, they are free to do so. It's rated PG. It is not on IMDb 250. It is not on my top 100. Academy Awards. That one's easy. None. Never, ever, ever. 
So it doesn't make any of my best picture lists. Is not part of my top 100. Is it on my want to see list? Nope. I don't have to get it out of there. It's not on James or Zach's top 200. And that's it. That is Food Fight as I explained it to you. Fascinating. Cool. So, that said, let us now transition into the second part of this episode where I'm going to go over my perfect, what I consider to be the six perfect movies that I've seen so far in my life. Now, when I started the list, when I started to keep track and rate things out of 100, the mo- I, had, I had a few movies rated 100. They were Toy Story, Toy Story 3, Night Before Christmas, The Land Before Time, The Dark Knight, and 1114, I think, were the movies that I had rated 100 at the time. And then the next one I added was Dark Knight Rises. I added, I added uh, uh, Fruitvale Station. I added Microcosmos. I added Mad Max Fury Road. And then I added... And the last thing that became a 100-rated movie was Hotta Kitty. Now, what has changed though is 1114 was dropped to a 98 Toy Story 3 was also dropped to a 98 Um, Land Before Time was also dropped to a 98 Fruitvale Station was dropped to a 94 Um, what else what else was there was that it uh, oh, Dark Knight Rises was dropped to a 92. Um, so it has... So 92 is the fallest... Uh, the fallest. Farthest a film has fallen from having a 100 rating. So there's only six left. And those are Toy Story, Harakiri, Microcosmos, Mad Max Fury Road, Nightmare Before Christmas, and The Dark Knight. In that order. So that order is based off of, first, my score, secondly, the Rotten Tomatoes score of these movies. So, for example, Nightmare Before Christmas has a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. Dark Knight has a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes. Microcosmos has a 97 on Rotten Tomatoes. Toy Story has a 100. Um, Harakiri also has a 100 and Mad Max has a 97 so all these movies are incredibly highly rated critically they are generally liked by the majority of people that have seen them Um, I mean there are plenty of outliers but that's not really why I gave them 100. Uh, it's a tough thing to qualify a perfect score because I don't give them this score because I think that they're perfect movies. 
there are definitely flaws in these movies. I I hesitate to like go into that in detail because that's not really the point. You know, as much as my rating system sets out to determine how good a movie is or the quality of the movie and how much I like them or it rather and it seeks to kind of combine all of those things into one cohesive score. Um, the difference between 99 and 100 is very minute. So the, the easiest way for me to describe it is that a movie that has 100 basically embodies a feeling, in my opinion. And... The, the easiest way for me to describe it is through The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is the first movie that I knew was going to get a 100. And it's... Uh, for a long time, it was the oldest movie that had gotten on... It, I mean, it was the oldest movie that got a 100 when Land Before Time dropped from its spot. And then until Harakiri entered as well and the the emotion the emotion that nightmare before christmas embodies to me is wonder Nightmare for christmas everything about that movie screams wonder wonderful wonder meant and you know n- at, at no point is the feeling of wonder higher than during the what's this song you know, which I sample during my opening. So, you know, that's there's the connection there. But throughout the entire film, you're following Jack Skellington as, you know, in the early part of it, they just came off this huge Halloween event. Everybody's in great spirits. And then immediately Skellington, Jack Skellington crashes the next few day, next day. And he's depressed and you know who knows how many years he's been preparing for halloween you know they don't tell us in the movie it could be hundreds it could be thousands tens of hundreds of millions because i mean i guess in theory based on the time the year it took place 1993 when the movie came out it would be however many years since the first halloween i guess and that's a long time to do the same thing year after year after year. And it's got to be frustrating. It's got to be tough to come up with new ideas and new ways to go about approaching the holiday. And so that's kind of his that's where you get Jack's lament and he's just like, well, what, what else can there possibly be? There has to be more to this than just Halloween. And he stumbles upon Christmas land. Oh my goodness. He finds Christmas land. It's the most magical thing he's ever seen. He is full of wonder. He is amazed at everything his eyes see. And I can't help but be overwhelmed by that feeling every time I see that scene. His 
eye sockets grow so wide he doesn't have eyes and I'm just filled with this um, just happiness for him I'm like this is incredible that he's finally found he's got a new lease on life and like that's that alone is a powerful message that at any moment you could stumble upon something so incredible so amazing so fantastic that it can change your life completely on a dime you know you can point to love at first sight you can point to um, finding a great movie a great song a great tv show a great book it can just be a new food a new place a new child anything any of these things can change your life completely on a dime for the better and this is what jack undergoes when he lands in christmas town he realizes that there's this whole other world out there that he's never even seen before he doesn't even know it exists but then the movie goes a little further and he tries to explain this feeling to someone else and it just it doesn't work he can't do it because it's not really something you can explain you know i'm doing my best to try to encapture the feeling but like i'm not explaining it as if i felt it i'm explaining it from an analytical standpoint watching someone else feel it it's a little different and it's easy to see jack's enthusiasm but it's also easy to misread it as something other than what it actually is and you know as he ultimately succumbs to the will of the townspeople in his description of christmas land and everyone's on board with what's going on and they're all excited for this christmas time and you know it's it's it's, it's a sour, it leaves a sour taste in your mouth because as excited as everyone is to make Christmas, you can't help but realize that because they don't see what Jack saw, it's not going to work. You can see the crash coming a mile, like 10 miles down the road, and that's traumatizing. You know, this sense of wonder that was just five, ten minutes earlier is already back to almost where it started. You know, and you can see Jack's trying to convince himself that that's not true, that it's going to be great, that he's going to have a fantastic time, that it's going to all work out in the end. And yet, you know, it's not because clearly that's where this is headed. And you also kind of suspect that he knows it's not because he knows that they're not doing the thing that he wants them to do. You know, when he's going through and, you know, he's correcting them and he's like, you know, try a bat instead of a rat as a hat. Or, you know, he's trying to get them to play jingle bells and it comes out as like this minor key 
unbelievably dour tune. And he's just like, he's too far gone. He's so lost in this feeling of wonder that he can't see anything but what he wants to see. And ultimately, at the end of the movie, it's just about, you know, as he's, as he's, sing, as he sings, poor Jack. I think that's the title of that's the song. Like, what have I done? What have I done? How could I be so blind? And it's easy to know why he was so blind. He was filled with wonder and when you're filled you know when you're filled with that love at first sight feeling about whatever it may be you can't see the forest for the trees you are dead set on exactly what you're looking at you know it to a t doesn't matter what anyone else tells you this person this thing this movie this song this whatever is perfect you know it better than anyone else could possibly think and no one nothing anyone else can say is going to change your mind until you crash which is exactly what happens to jack and as he laments over how terrible things went for him he can't he finally realize you know he realizes the mistake and now he's got to fix it so he's got to get Santa Claus back from Oogie Boogie, setting up that terrifying uh, confrontation scene where he ultimately wins the day, destroys Oogie Boogie, rescues Santa Claus, and just fixes things. And... But what, but what the Nightmare Before Christmas does so well is that it doesn't let you lose the sense of wonder that you had earlier. And it, it morphs it into this newfound devotion to Halloween that Jack has. You know, because he fell in love it didn't work out in a pretty emphatic way. He came out the other side scathed, but overall okay. You know, Jack's okay, and he's back okay, and that's great. And now he's got some new ideas that'll really make them scream. It's, oh, I just find, I just think that it's so wonderful, the story, because you're given that feeling of wonderment in a sort of lustful kind of way, but then at the end of the movie, it's all about wonder in a long-lasting love, everlasting kind of way, and that's incredible. The way, it, I just, I find that to be so incredible. And, you know, I'm, that, I think, feel like that took a long time. But I can't, I'm not going to go into all six movies in that, in quite that much depth. You know, you know. And to some extent, like, they're not all representative of specific feelings. 
or emotions, but they do embody one kind of thing to perfection. You know, like the next easiest one, I think, is Mad Max Fury Road and excitement. Holy shit, is that an exciting movie. Every aspect of it is exciting and it never, ever throttles down on you, which is exactly how the most exciting movie in the world should be. Which, as far as I'm concerned, it is far and away the most exciting movie ever. Um, you know... So... <laughs> these are my perfect movies. And to break them down a little further, half of them are action movies. So, Mad Max, Dark Knight, and Harakiri are action movies. Uh, Mad Max is the only adventure movie of the six. Um, half of, or no, two of them are animated. Nightmare for Christmas, Toy Story. Toy Story is the only comedy. Dark Knight is the only crime movie. Microcosmos is the only documentary. Harakiri and Dark Knight are the only dramas. Toy Story and Nightmare are the fantasy movies. Harakiri is the only foreign language film. None of the top, none of them are horror films. And in fact, the highest rated horror film is in, only gets that I've seen only gets a 98. Um, so, and I do think that that is a particularly hard genre to master. And as far as I'm concerned, the closest that film has ever come is Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, with an honorable mention to Silence of the Lambs and Aliens. Uh, Night Before Christmas is a musical. Dark Knight is a mystery. None of the top six are romance movies. However, two films, three films rated a 99 are romance, are in the romance category. Um, Before Sunset, Sita Sings the Blues, and The Philadelphia Story. Mad Max is the only sci-fi movie. None of the top six are short films. Uh, the highest rated short film gets a 98, and that's last year's World of Tomorrow, which was so unfortunately screwed over by the Academy Awards, in my opinion. I think Bear Story is mediocre at best. World of Tomorrow is incredible. Sport movies tough to do really really well because they fall into such blatant cliches highest rated sports movie is a 98 and that's warrior which is not exactly the stereotypical sports movie but that's good because it doesn't shouldn't be um mad max and dark knight are thrillers i guess none of the top six are westerns but the eight my eighth overall rated movie Cat Baloo is a Western. None of the top six are Disney movies. Uh, I know that Nightmare Before Christmas is technically in the Disney canon, but I don't consider it to be a Disney animation film. I don't, I mean, I don't, I mean, not I don't consider it, but I don't think it is considered to be a Disney animation film. Whoa, uh, close that. Um, let me just double check that here. 
Yeah, it's produced and conceived by Tim Burton, directed by Henry Selick. Um, at the time, yeah, Burton uh, was working as an animator for Walt for Di- Walt Disney Feature Animation. But that was back in 82. And then Disney released the film through Touchstone because they didn't want it associated with their brand because they thought it would be too dark and scary. Okay, that... I do remember having looked that up before. Which is fair. I, I understand their trepidation of wanting to release it as a Disney movie, but they have since embraced it because it is such a fantastic film and everyone loved it. Uh, and then the number one film over, on my spreadsheet overall, Toy Story, is Pixar. And it's the best Pixar film. With Inside Out coming in at 12th. And Toy Story 3 coming in at 22nd. Um, two films in the top of my perfect films uh, completely fail the Bechdel test. Harakiri and Microcosmos don't have... I don't think either of them have a single speaking female. And Microcosmos doesn't have a speak, doesn't have any speaking characters, just a female narrator. Uh, Nightmare for Christmas and Toy Story both have at least two named female characters, but they never speak to each other. Dark Knight has female characters that do speak to each other, but only about men, so it gets a two. Doesn't pass full to three. Uh, and so the only film that actually passes is Mad Max Fury Road, which is an incredibly feminist film, and I'm really happy with how that movie is. As far as MPA ratings, you've got two G movies in Microcosmos and Toy Story, PG in Nightmare Before Christmas, PG-13 in The Dark Knight, R for Mad Max Fury Road, and Harakiri is not rated. Uh, Toy Story, Mad Max Fury Road, and The Dark Knight are all on the IMDb Top 250 as of this recording. I, The last time that I checked, which to be fair was a few weeks ago, Toy Story was 91st, Mad Max was 185th, and The Dark Knight was 4th. And then as far as how these movies did otherwise... Mad Max was nominated for 10 Oscars, won 6. Dark Knight was nominated for 8, won 2. Toy Story was nominated for 3 with no wins. Nightmare for Christmas was nominated for 1 with no wins. And Harakiri and Microcosmos were not nominated, which is insane. Nightmare for Christmas was actually nominated for visual effects. Not score, not song. Visual effects. Ridiculous. Um, yeah, so those are my perfect movies. Happy to discuss them in more detail if that is desired. I, you know, and, or even, you know, why some movies have fallen out of the 100, the 100 rating. You know, I saw, you know, 1114 is one of my favorite movies. I used to watch it every year on November 14th. I haven't done that in quite a while. But I I just kind of loved the way everything kind of came together in that movie. 
I think Rachel Lee Cook is fantastic, but you know, as the years have kind of passed, I've found and picked apart a couple of things in that movie that I find to be a little silly, but for like essentially an indie under the radar, what we would consider now a straight to DVD movie, it has an insane cast. Clark Gregg, Hilary Swank, Rachel Lee Cook, excuse me, um, and I'm blanking on a lot of the other ones. Uh, ben Foster, Henry Thomas, the E.T. kid, Jason Siegel, Barbara Hershey, Patrick Swayze, uh, did that, did that. Colin Hanks. Like, that's a like that's a really strong cast. Uh you know, there's a sex in a graveyard scene where someone dies from too rough sex. It's got a lot of different stories that interconnect with each other, which is a feature in film that I love. It's very cohesive and con- constrained as far as that's concerned. <clears throat> um so I really enjoy it. I think it's fantastic. But but it is not a 100. It's a 98. You know, it's definitely suffering a little bit. I think the acting has definitely not held up in my eyes the long, the more I've gone to revisit it. So you know, that's kind of where I'm at on 11:14. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, I, back when Dark Knight Rises and and Toy Story 3 were both also rated 100, there were a lot of actors that were in two movies rated 100 out of 100. Now there are no actors rated in any movies, in, in two movies rated 100. And there are a total of, 48, nope, 46 actors that have been in a movie rated 100. Um, yeah, it's... There's, I, I like the variety. I'm really happy to... Like, when I wa- finally watched Harakiri, I was incredibly happy to have finally found a foreign film that I thought was worthy of that rating. Because that's kind of what I was missing... I think, and, you know, I don't, <laughs> Microcosmos is probably the least recognizable or known film that I've given 100 to, and it is incredible, it is truly outstanding, the The emotions that I felt watching that for these, like, insects and creatures that I've never spent any time observing in my own life. I found that incredibly moving. There's one scene, and this is the kind of this is the scene that I always end up pointing to when I talk about this movie. And that's there's this dung beetle rolling this ball of dung. And he's going over a hill, and there's this little twig sticking out of the hill. 
and the dung ball gets caught on the twig. And he struggles and he struggles because he can't get it past the twig because it's stuck. It's like speared onto it. It's skewered. And, you know, as a human being, I'm thinking, well, just, you got to just pull it off the twig. You can't force your way through it. You know, that's just not the way physics works. You know, path of least resistance and all that. But this is a dung beetle who doesn't understand those high concepts. And I remember when I was watching it the whole time, I was just heart, my heart was breaking for this poor dung beetle. And after a minute or two of struggling, he finally figures it out. And I was so relieved for him. I was just so happy that that he was able to do it. And that's... I'm really proud of the dung beetle. It really was. Gosh, that's... Yeah, I'm really, really happy. So, I would really recommend any of those movies. I think they're all fantastic. And hopefully, this kind of has helped you give you a little more insight into my personal movie taste and how I approach watching movies and rating movies and experiencing movies. And maybe it's given you a a second to kind of pause and think back over the movies that you consider to be perfect or great. Because I think that's something worth revisiting. So, thank you for listening. Again, I'm Ryan. This has been the Circle of Film Podcast, Statistics, episode number three. And you can find me at circleoffilm.com, at letterbox.com slash stranger, S-T-R-A-N-G-A-H. You can email me at circleoffilm at gmail.com. And until next time, have a week. So-